Welcome to Circular Firing Squad. I'm Marty Gensius, a counseling faculty at Kent State University and a host for Circular Firing Squad. We've got four members, four questions, and four answers for each question. Questions are generated by each squad member, and they run from the thoughtful to the trivial. We're going to do something different tonight. First of all, uh, let's find out who's here, and then I'll tell you what, what we're doing. Hey, everyone. Jen Cook, Associate Professor, New England College. Hello, my name is Dr. Gina Martin, Assistant Professor at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Hi, I'm Steph Martyr. I am a doctoral candidate at Kent State University, practicing clinical counselor and co-host of Grad School Deconstructed. So tonight we've got a different plan. First of all, the other two boys are not here. Surprise, surprise. Uh, so Eric and Elliot aren't with us tonight. So we're going to do a smaller show, but we're going to do something different. We were getting ready for a show and Jen pointed out that, hey, we asked that question. I'll just come up with one in the moment. And none of us knew what the question was going to be. So we decided to do the whole show that way this time. So we don't know what questions people have come prepared with. They've got sort of an area or a tone that I suggested with them to give a little balance between what we normally do. But I... The questions are coming at us without any understanding of what they're going to be. So first up, Jen. I feel like I have to set the tone big time here. And <laughs> and, and I decided to go easy on y'all to, to kick us off and to get us started. So complete this phrase. When life gives you lemons. How is that easy? I'm the first one who has to respond to this. <laughs> Come on, Gina. You got this. Think of your personality. When life gives you lemons. So the first thing that's coming to mind for me, when life gives you lemons, work harder. I don't know. I, I feel like that's like a very boring answer. And yet that's like kind of my answer to everything. Like when life gets tough, when shit gets real, it's like you put your nose to the grindstone and you just keep slogging along. I don't know. So that's kind of where I'm at. And maybe that's a byproduct of the time and <laughs> the situation. But yeah, so when life gives you lemons, you keep going, keep working, keep chugging. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to say, well, I, a couple of answers came to mind, but I suppose what I would actually do in real life is find some recipe and try to make some lemon pie <laughs> of some sort. Like, I don't know, some some fancy type of lemon pie or or the um, I did make these really good vegan lemon bars once. Those were really good. I should make those again using agar agar, which is like really cool. Makes it like gelatin. So I would make some sort of lemon baked good. I really like lemon bars. That's sort of my go to dessert. Um, and when when you say when life gives you lemon, lemons, uh First thing that pops into my mind is uh, we buy a lot of lemons in this household. Aileen likes lemon juice on anything that comes out of the sea. So she will squeeze it on. And, and the thing is, we'll buy one not knowing what we're going to eat this week. And within the next week, she's like, oh, it's, it's, it's bad. We got to get a new one. And, and I keep trying to convince her to just buy the bottle juice. But she said, no, no, you can tell the difference. 
So we go through, we recycle a lot of lemons. By that, I mean, we return them to the earth before they, they're due. But when I heard your statement of when life gives you lemons, I thought vodka, ice, and and lemon juice or a wedge of lemon in it. Uh, and then I thought, no, well, because that, that's sort of my favorite go-to um, at conferences. Uh, Lonesome Johnny, which is um, vodka, ginger ale, and uh, lemon. Lemon during the summer, limes in the fall. Uh, but it's a it's a drink that John Prine sings about, and so it's called a Lonesome Johnny. Well, that's a fun fact that I didn't know. I, I, I was in the vodka route, too, of like life gives you lemons, squeeze it in a shot of vodka and call it a day. And I and I was I was thinking, Marty, that you might go that direction and take my response. But not that drinking is the answer to everything. But um, I appreciate everybody's answers because I, I have a typical work ethic of oh, I just put my head down and forget that I've got the lemons. Um, but I think I'm now in the life circumstance of eh, I think I'd rather have a cocktail. My next question, we're switching gears a little bit here into the academic world. So I've been thinking about this as I'm starting out a new year with new students in the classroom. How honest are you in the classroom when students ask questions about counseling, especially brand new students that are training to be counselors? How honest are you? Um, Okay, so I'm the first one with that one. Actually... Yeah. Okay. There's a line. Sorry. This is like complicated, right? I have to like get my thoughts and gather them Um, because yeah, you hold back a little bit perhaps, but I also feel like there have been times when you're just helping them when they're doing their dyads and they're practicing and they're like, oops, oops, I did this. And they're so in their heads that I'm actually, I'm kind of like, that's okay. Being yourself is okay. You know, and to encourage them to bring that uniqueness that they have. So when it comes to certain certain things, instead of just sitting in the exact proper position and, and those kind of uh, micro skills, I suppose, to help them relax. So I'm honest with them in that way. Like that's not completely real world, but practice it that way and you won't go wrong. You know, that's the way to do it. When it comes to something like self-disclosure, we just say that's for another time. Right now, don't do it. <laughs> um I suppose, but you know, it gets tricky. I, I, I would say brutally honest. And I've been accused of that by students and colleagues. It's like, you know, we know you're well, we know you're going to speak the truth about what's going on. Unfortunately, I don't do it with as much tech as the doctoral students who are co-teaching with me. I can watch a doctoral student see it the same problem that I had that that I see. And they do do this wonderful reframing for the student that feels so good. And the students are already scared of me in some at some level because they're new students. And um, I wind up just kind of speaking it bluntly and wished I didn't have to put it that way. But that's how it comes out. Um, you know, I'm teaching group now. And so I get to kind of do a lot of metaphors and set the tone and talk about shifting the culture in the group as they're practicing their groups. And so I can be a little bit more um, Zen in the process, but, uh, but generally I can't come out with anything as gentle as my doctoral assistants can when I'm teaching a class, it just comes out a little too abrupt, but truth I'll, I'll give me that. It is true. 
I guess it depends on what I'm being asked and what kind of truth I have to tell, you know, because I think that there's different levels of truth for different circumstances within the classroom, depending on developmental level, but also in terms of, is that something that needs to be publicly told um, as a truth? Or is that something that I need to pull a student aside and tell the truth individually? Um, So when I think about like individual truth telling, I think about like with a student who will say like, do I sound abrasive? You know, and, you know, when you know the student a little bit or you get the sense of like, you know, they're actually pretty wounded. And if I were to say in front of an entire group of people, yeah, actually you do. Um, they would they would probably lose it completely. Um, and so I might downplay it to, within a group setting to be like, well, I'm not sure if I would say abrasive. Um, I think that there might be a different way that we might be able to approach this in terms of tone, you know. And then after class, I would probably pull the student aside and be like, you know, dot, dot, dot. You know, I, I was encountering it as abrasive and I didn't want to deliver that feedback in front of the group because I wanted us to be able to talk about it in a more you know, one-on-one sort of way. But when it comes to, you know, the questions that student asks, students ask, like, for example, like, am I going to make good money when I first graduate from the counseling program? I'm like, look, that's a truth that needs to be told. No, hon, you're not. Um, unless you're a school counselor in Wisconsin and they were graduating, making more money than I was. Let me be honest. My first, I remember my second year teaching and there were school counselors who were going to work for their very first job, um, making like, $2,000 less a year than I was making. <laughs> so, you know, there are some of those things. I, I think you all probably are picking up. I try to infuse humor with it. Um, and I also have the recol- the realization that like, I don't know, 90% of what I say students don't listen to anyway. Um, so I, it doesn't matter if I tell the truth or tell a really great lie. Um, they're likely unlikely to really listen or remember what I say anyhow. So Um, But I I err on the side of truth. Sometimes that's, you know, I try to be a little gentle with it. Um, But there are some, you asked about the classroom, so I won't talk about other professional contexts. So, but I would probably be more brutally honest in those than in the classroom. So my answer is really similar, Jen. I, um, I have been told that I am pretty direct and I, I don't know I feel like I'm not a really direct person in real life, like outside of the classroom, outside of counseling, in my normal everyday life. I don't feel like I'm confrontational or direct. And I think that in the classroom and as like a supervisor and that kind of thing, I think that if I wrote a book on it, I think it would probably be called transparent teaching or something of the sort, because I think that there's a lot of value in being honest and upfront with students, especially right when they're starting out and they're brand new. And like you said, it depends on what that is. And if I'm going to use that classroom as the time and place, you know, to share that. Um, But I think that there's a lot that can be learned in the classroom if you're honest and if you're upfront and if you're transparent. And I think that students will connect with you more if they can tell that you're being honest and authentic. So I I think that I'm also brutally honest and sometimes I don't have as much tact like Marnie said um, and students can get really hurt by that. And other times I feel like it works out pretty well. Here's my question. Barring extraneous circumstances and, you know, understandable kinds of things, how long is it acceptable for somebody to be late for an appointment with you or an engagement? Oh, you know... Uh, I always dread going first. 15 minutes. 
that doesn't mean I won't wait longer, but generally by 15 minutes, I have kind of moved on to something else in my head. I'm working on something else or I'm doing something else or I'm, I'm leaving the place that we're supposed to meet, whether that's in Zoom or whether that's face-to-face. Yeah, 15 minutes. Uh, if somebody sends, it's great if they send me a message. And sometimes it means the message is we're going to just have to meet at another time, but 15 minutes. I think it depends on whether or not it's a social or professional context. I can't be too judgmental because I typically run a few minutes late. Um, that's sort of my general functioning in the world. Um, you know, I went to a gathering the other day and I, I think it was supposed to start at two or something. It was a social kind of thing and it was supposed to start at two. I think I got there maybe 20 after three or something like that. And the host said, and this was in New Hampshire and I don't know the New Hampshire culture. You know, I'm you know, raised by New Yorkers in the South. So that's, you know, in terms of how you show up and at what time, there's there's some differentiations there. She said, oh, I'm so glad I wasn't sure if you were going to make it. And I was thinking like, well, the cross between ADHD and being raised by New Yorkers, you're lucky I've left the house already. I mean, seriously. So when it comes to professional stuff, I, I expect people to be within a few minutes, especially if it's on Zoom. When I have to wait online, it feels like an eternity. Like if I'm sitting in Starbucks waiting for somebody, like, you know, I, I, my mind is occupied, you know, I'm seeing people go by and I'm eavesdropping on the conversations next to me. Like I've got something to do, but when I'm sitting in my house and I'm thinking like, I got to get back to it. Like if you're not coming, I need to get back to it. And I'm like checking the phone, checking the email. I mean, it feels more stressful to me to wait in an online situation than to wait IRL. And so I, and most of my, you know, professional interactions are online these days. So I would say that, you know, for online, you got five minutes. If you don't send me an email or a text, I'm out. Like, I don't have time to sit around on zoom all day. No, if you're not here, let's keep it moving. But in real life, I'd easily sit 15 or 20 minutes and probably not even notice that the person was late. Yeah. I think it depends on the context for sure. I think for me, I like to be early to things. And if I'm not early, there's usually a problem or there's usually something that is significantly wrong to preclude me from being there at least 5, 10, 15 minutes early. Um, I hate being late. And that is just something about me. My family has historically always run about 30 to an hour late for as long as I can remember. And it has always driven me nuts every time we get in the car an hour past the time we're supposed to be there, my heart starts beating and I'm like very uncomfortable. Um, So in my own life, I have made it a fact to be perpetually early to things. And so therefore, for classes, for supervision, for most things in my life, I demand that people are on time. And I really, really, really dislike it when they're not. Um, If it's a client who's coming to see me, then I'm a little bit more generous, but I'm usually calling them within the first seven minutes. That's my cutoff. When it hits 107, I'm like, all right, where are you at? Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you, Jen. Sitting and staring at Zoom while you wait is very uh, anxiety provoking and <laughs> makes me, again, just very uncomfortable. So seven minutes or 10 minutes early. Don't call them, Gina. Just swipe their credit card. I mean, with clients, come on. Well, they're paying for it and they're usually children. So it's like, you know, something's got to give. I've had to work really hard to extend my allowance of time. And I think I'm in a good place now. I think I'm in a reasonable place. I think in general, I think 
socially, if you're meeting somebody somewhere for me, mm-hmm. yeah, 15 minutes. Cause like for the first 15 minutes, I'm looking, I'm, I don't like to, for, I don't want to be startled. I don't want to be in my world and then jump and have my hypervigilant yell in the middle of a public area. I'm looking, I want to make sure you see me. I don't know. So I can only do that for so long. At the same time, I'm probably not going anywhere because you might just be around the corner. That will keep me there for a long, long time. Um, I think that's the problem is that I have a reasonable amount of time in my head. And then there's the time where I feel like I'm just, I'm going to log off or I'm going to leave right before you show up. So I'm really give it a lot longer. Now for clients, it's 20 minutes. Clients is 20 minutes unless they say something and we agree to have a shorter session um, or something in that way. But I do, I do call much earlier, um, 10 minutes, I give them 10 minutes, but um, yeah, if, if I don't hear from them and, and they're not there, it's, it's 20 minutes and yes, your credit card gets wiped. <laughs> so generous to wait 20. <laughs> Gina, I, I'm like you, I like to be on time. It drives me nuts when I'm not on time. And generally, I time things down to the minute, and and then I show up. I Steph knows that in classrooms, I'll walk in right when the class is ready to start and try to get going. Yeah, I have uh, I have little tolerance for folks who uh, kind of straggle in really late. There's nothing I can do about it, but it just kind of gets to me. Um, so my question is sort of a academic work related question. Most of us have returned from COVID, so we're we've we've made the shift from non or from COVID to non COVID, a non COVID environment. I know some folks are online in this group, and you know some of us are in traditional brick and mortars, face to face kind of meeting. So you can answer this question any way that you think fits your context. Uh, what's good with this transition? What have you discovered that's like, oh wow? I'm, you know, I'm glad we're doing this now. And then what's flawed with the transition? What are you like? Can't we just go back and do this instead? Well, personally, I'm fully online right now because I'm working in a program that has not gone back in person. Um, We have, so we have two campuses and the campus where my program is housed is a, is a smaller campus in Manchester, um, as opposed to the flagship that's over in Hineker. And they decided that the fine arts students um, needed to be back in person more than we did. And we've been very successful of being fully online. And so, you know, we, we haven't transitioned back. Um, part of that has been, and has been fine, surprisingly, because I, I think I've learned that online work and work from home is not for everyone. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that it's for me. Um, it's interesting to notice like, that I have pretty decent structure and I'm able to get my work done the way that I, that I should and all of those kinds of things. But um, I noticed that I miss that interaction, that human energy interaction that you get actually face-to-face as opposed to being on, in an online environment. So I would say that that's kind of the hard part of not transitioning back. Um, I appreciate, you know, not having to worry about, are people going to mask? Are they going to be in my face? You know, are they going to be getting too close? Like, because you know what, y'all COVID's still here. Um, so is the flu and everything else that you can, that you can pick up. And we didn't, we weren't as conscious of that before, but we are, a lot of us are now. 
Um, so I appreciate that, but I have to say like, I, I do appreciate it when I'm able to be in person with folks and when I'm able to, you know, go and, you know, do a seminar, do, um, a conference or, you know, those types of things, because I've become incredibly, you know, adept at teaching online, meeting online, you know, all of those kinds of things. But I think me personally, I need that. I need to feel the energy of other people. And I'm glad that my body has finally learned not to try to pick it up virtually, like through Zoom and whatnot, because it's impossible. And it wore me out for a good year and a half when we all first went online. Um, But I think for those of us who have the promise of going back um, as soon as the space opens up and all that type of thing, I look forward to that personally, um, just because that's, that's good for my soul and it's good energy. And Frankly, I got a bunch of clothes I'm not wearing because I I mullet dress for work now, you know, it's, you know, business on the top, party on the bottom. So I look forward to getting the transition back. Yeah, I feel like I I have a unique perspective because I've done both. And I, I feel like this is maybe an unpopular opinion, but I like both. And I think that both serve a purpose. And someone asked me, having transitioned from being fully online in an online program to working at a traditional brick and mortar you know, what's the biggest difference that you notice in the classroom? Like, how do you notice that things are different or how are you different as a professor or whatever? And I was like, you know, really not that much is different. And I I know that's a really unpopular opinion and people are like, okay, whatever. I don't believe you, but truly I feel like not that much is different. And I, I disagree with you, Jen, that I feel like you can sense some of the energy in the online setting, not in an asynchronous setting, but in that synchronous setting, if students are really passionate, I think you'll see it. And I think that you notice it. Um, and I, I think there's something about looking at people's faces so up close in the online setting that gives you more data about them. I don't know. And maybe that's the analytical side of me coming out. Um, whereas in the classroom, you know, people can look down and people can turn their head and you might not have a lot of that like eye to eye contact, which maybe you don't online either. I don't know. We're getting lost in the weeds here. But I think the point of my story here is, yes, I love to look at people's faces up close. That is the point of the story. <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate both ways of teaching and doing things. And I think that there's a purpose for both. I think that you can have online meetings. I think that you can move things online when it's convenient for people's schedules. And I think you can still get some of that underlying body language and, and stuff from having those interactions. And there is something to be said for those person-to-person interactions that happen in the hallway or between the offices or whatever. And I have to say that is my absolute favorite part of teaching at a brick and mortar. Um, Also having students over to my house and having that capability to do that and to let students see that side of me is really, really neat. And that's something that we just didn't have in the online space. So yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. I think both are great. And you can do both. And I'm not going to disagree with you on that, Gina, but there is something about being in the brick and mortar when you can walk up to a student to increase the intensity when the eye contact goes away or when you want to hear them better or, you know, and so it's like, sure, I can read body language online just fine. But in terms of feeling the energy and being able to up the intensity, so training as family therapist, right? So being able to lean in, for example, like physically lean in. If I do this online, I'm, I'm moving in, you know, y'all can't see me in the podcast, but like I'm, I'm leaning forward. I just look like a freak getting too close to the camera. 
If I do that in person with a student and I lean in toward them, I've just upped the intensity in a way that is intentional, you know? And so at any rate, like those are the kinds of like small nuances that I miss of that brick and mortar experience of being able to like get up and like feel it and make something different happen because online they could just be like, they could have me muted and I wouldn't even know it. (laughs) I haven't gone back yet. Um, That's, and that's a lot. I mean, the thing is I'm resistant. I'm a little resistant to going back. And I think that just is more about my personality than any health fears at this time, because I'm completely planning on going back. We have plans in about a month for me. Uh, it, it's when childcare will be available for the days that I work. Um, so I, it should be fine. I think it's going to be like riding a bicycle. It's, it'll be nice. I think it'll be really good just to have the office there. Um, you know, say hi to people when you walk in, there's an energy that just, just when you're there and, and, you know, there's other people working around you and it's, there, there's something cool there. Um, the biggest change, and I, and I say this tongue in cheek because sometimes people don't know and they can't tell when I'm, when I'm joking, but really I am looking forward to getting all that free food from the drug reps. I've been missing that. Um, so that will be a change to, to get lunch again. Steph, it's so funny you say that because I think that was the biggest transition for me. It was like, I have to pack food now. Like if I'm on campus for eight hours, I can't just like shuffle over to the fridge and get something. And so I have gone 12 hour days solely eating candy because that's all that's available. And I'm not proud of it. And it's happened. I think the question generated from the fact that we did come back and, you know, I'm at my home tonight recording this show as I think, well, well, y'all are. But over the two and a half years of COVID, I have improved the technology in my home to the point where I've got three monitors, another full computer over here. I've got a television up on the right, and I've got a really powerful computer that can manage all of this stuff at the same time. And then I go to my office and I've got a computer that was three years old before COVID. Turn it on. It takes forever try to do anything with it, like retrieve your mail. It doesn't work. I can bring my laptop and access mail quicker than I can off my desktop computer in my office. So being in my office now feels like torture because I can't do any work there. And you know, and I'm, if I'm doing it and I'm doing it on one small computer, whereas at home I can do it on three 30 inch monitors at the same time. So I'm incredibly more productive at home. So going to the office, I do go to the office because now we're expected to be back. And I'm there for meetings that are in office meetings. But a majority of meetings that I'm having with students, they want to do Zoom. They don't want to drive to campus, sit, find a parking space. Yeah, you know, that whole dance that you have to do uh, when you go on campus. So I'm finding myself uh, working more, a higher percentage at home, which does separate me from all this, the excitement of seeing colleagues and things like that. We, we have our in, in-person meetings, so we get to see each other every couple of weeks at least. 
other than that times coming into the office. I'll tell you what is really good for me in the transition back, however, is teaching. I was realizing after I got back how stale I was getting teaching on Zoom that, uh, you know, the kind of thing that Jen talked about, being able to be present. Now, it was scary when I came back. I almost felt like I had forgotten how to do that. Uh, Steph said it's like riding a bicycle at some point, you know. Well, yeah, if you haven't ridden a bicycle in three years, the first time you get on again, you're still feeling a little, a little shaky with it. But now I really like it. I mean, now I really appreciate that part of my job is the teaching that's done in person, particularly the courses that I'm teaching that require that kind of engagement and interaction. Um, it's easier to do groups in the round than it is to do them in the flat screen with with cells. Um, so, yeah, that's the good and the bad. And and I, I the ugly right now is our building because they're doing all sorts of construction on it. Uh, to build a brand new uh, business college building next door to us, so um, it's a it's a mess in our building as they work on the infrastructure, and so that's I guess that would be the ugly. So that's all our questions for tonight. Except we have one final shot question: What is one thing you'll never turn down? Coffee, candy, <laughs> Bowie memorabilia. Oh, I like that Bowie memorabilia. You know, I, I wrote this question up last week and had an answer in my head for it and then forgot about it. So the first thing that popped into my head was caramel corn. I thought, nah. Then I thought a joke. Then I thought a sarcasm. But the one that I settled on was an opportunity to dissociate. Um, I will never turn down an opportunity to kind of just have an out-of-body experience, particularly in meetings. That, that happens a lot for me, which is okay. So thanks to the squad, uh, Jen, Gina, and Stephanie. Look for some of these characters on their podcasts on thepodtalk.net. You can find out more about them at circularfiringsquad.net. Our theme music is from Menage a Quad, Real Swing Shet. That's it for this episode of Circular Firing Squad. Ready, fire, aim. Ready, fire, aim.